good. I'm Morgan. <laughs> I'm Isabeau. And this is Romance! <laughs> a podcast about romance novels. Those funny priest collars. Mmm. Fetishes. Brendan Gleeson. The smell of sacred oils and other such like. <laughs> this week, as you may have guessed, we are going to talk about the very contemporary and very salacious priest by Sierra Simone. Mm, really, really good romance name. Let's hop to it. First thing, romance listeners, I'd like to take you back in my relationship with Morgan a little bit. We met under strange and beautiful circumstances in grad school. And one of the first things we learned about one another is Uh that Morgan is from the great late state Kansas. And I, Isabeau, uh, spent many years, a full decade, in Missouri, also pronounced misery. Also pronounced Missouri. Oh, God. No one says that. Um, Lots of people say that, which makes me sad. (laughs) Anyway, so Missouri and Kansas, if you don't know, have a very contentious history. Rivals! Deep-seated rivalry that goes back to a thing called Bleeding Kansas. One of the things that made us very excited about Priest by Sierra Simone is the fact that it takes place at the borderlands between (laughs) our two distant homes. Known as Kansas City. Kansas City, Missouri, or Kansas City, Kansas. Who can say? Who can say? So this uh, book actually takes place on the Missouri side of the state line. So whenever the people better say part. Uh, Kansas City area, they could mean uh, one of two states. One has a better tax bracket. One was on the losing side of the Civil War as well. <laughs> Come back. Can't argue. <laughs> Can't argue that. Can't argue that. One has a better football team. <laughs> One has a better basketball team and also was against slavery. (laughs) One was the birthplace of a president. One was also the birthplace of a president. What president? Dwight D. Eisenhower. Oh, fuck. That's a better president. I know. That's a better president. And once again, I can't drive this point home enough. Was on the correct <laughs> side of history when it came to slavery. That's one that Missouri continues not to do well with. <laughs> Strangely enough, Mark Twain's home state is kind of a shit town. Langston Hughes' home state. Mm. For Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> Harry S. Truman of Independence, Missouri. Uh was born there. And Winston Churchill delivered his great Iron Curtain speech in Fulton, Missouri. How about that? Enslaved people. <laughs> I'm never going to win. Missouri's worse. <laughs> and we bled Yay! Kansas. Yeah, so Kansas was known as Bleeding Kansas because mm-hmm. during the Civil War, Missouri wanted it to be a slave state and the people who were actually in Kansas wanted it to be a free state and that's where the Civil War started. You should watch a certain Ang Lee film. Mm. What is it called? There are several films about this. Into the West, uh, a TNT miniseries production with Irene Bradford was very good and had an entire episode about bleeding Kansas. Has this had chapter in Missouri's history? Missouri's had a lot of sad chapters. Kansas hasn't been that great. There's a wonderful documentary called What's the Matter with Kansas that I recommend everyone watch because it's illuminating about how a shit state made itself worse. But 
As Morgan has so politely (laughs) pointed out, it was on the right side of not owning humans. Yeah. So, Kansas. Score one forever. Yeah. Over Missouri, at least. (laughs) And several other states. I like how you're like, Missouri has a sad chapter. It's like, it's the whole fucking book. (laughs) Chapter and verse. (laughs) It's funny to imply that Missouri would have a book because their (laughs) literacy rates are so low. It's also the meth and puppy mill capitals of America. Really good burns. I am not looking up the crib sheet of Kansas's terrible things because- I do remember that Governor Sam Brownback made it illegal to teach evolution in high school and college, which meant that their uh, medical students couldn't go on to do residencies for a year. Yeah, that was the worst. Also, as someone who was in school at the time when I should have been taught evolution, (laughs) I'm still like at parties. I'm like, yeah. Birds. We, we ride with the devil. <laughs> it's the name of the Ang Lee movie. Toby Maguire's in it. So Toby Maguire. Skeet Ulrich is in it. <laughs> like I care about that person. Oh, come on. Oh, God. Is he from Kansas? No. <laughs> he was in Scream. Oh, that guy. <laughs> anyway, the reason why we're very excited to talk about Brees is because it's contemporary, which we don't often talk about on this show. Uh-huh. And it takes place in a border land between our two erstwhile homes. It takes place on the Missouri side, doesn't it? It does. But you know where Kansas City is. Yeah. You've been there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, how do how do we want to classify this? It's very clearly BDSM. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, I think overall, like the real taboo stuff that happens mm. in this book is not BDSM. Okay, like it's not like real savage BDSM. What do you mean by savage? I mean, like I don't know. There's no whips or like props or safe words involved. Even there are props, and they all have to do with religion. <laughs> The main thing is that the guy's a priest. A Catholic priest. I thought about I think this we a should lot. Say. Like, he's a Well, is he's there a Catholic, another kind? Yeah. Don't, like, Methodist have priests? No. What are they called? Curates? <laughs> I've been reading too much historical <laughs> they fiction. they called curates? <laughs> anyway, he's a Catholic priest sworn to celibacy. He's come to a parish in Kansas City to rescue it from the pedophile previous priest. Uh-huh. And he's on a mission to rehabilitate the congregation. But not before he has anal sex with one of his congregants using holy oils as lubricant. And her name is Poppy. Yeah, and I'm supposed to be like, <laughs> you're supposed to believe that she's like some old money, wealthy blue blood, and they named her Poppy. Poppy. Well, that kind of tracks for Missouri, I guess. It's not like the she's blue from blood. New York. Yeah, but she's been living in the Kansas City area for a long time. Yeah, but she wasn't born there. That's true. She wasn't named there. So she the thing I've thought about there. this a lot because most of their sex acts. Mm-hmm. involve some kind of religious iconography or mm-hmm. objects mm-hmm. being utilized. But then I was mm-hmm. like, you know, it's not like someone dresses up like a vampire and doesn't put in the fake fangs. Yeah. You know, like if you're going to write a sex book about a priest, yep. you should use the anointing oils as lubricant. You should. It also smells really good. <laughs> Also, okay, there are a couple things that I want to talk about. I want to talk about the sex scenes, which are numerous and titillating. 
Poppy's and extensive. Extensive. Poppy's shitty ass name and this weird classism slash class discussion that happens around her and mm-hmm. through her, which was both yeah. weird and sort of like off-putting to the novel itself. But also then deeply relevant to as people from the Midwest, as people from undervalued parts of the world. Indeed. I'll go ahead and say that. But also like one of the things that's very striking about this novel, it's told in first person and it's a hundred percent in Father Bell's perspective. He's his name is Father Bell, not because he's an older wise gentleman who is No, he's young and hot. Super hot. He's a young hot priest. I also want to talk about, like, the things in this novel that are not going to age well. Oh, like uh, Walking Dead? Yeah, Reddit, that kind of thing. The internet is forever, so they tell me. Mm-hmm. So I also, I think that it's, um, goodness gracious. I don't even know where to start with this book. Let's start with Poppy Danforth and the very weird reason that she comes to Tyler Bell's church. Poppy Danforth... <laughs> Starts coming to church. She's she's a baptized Christian, but not a Catholic. She's never stood for confirmation. And so she's going through that process at Tyler Bell's church because she's had this awful moment with the man that she thought she was going to marry who married somebody else. And then because she was so hurt by this awful thing that happened to her, he she offered to keep her. As his mistress. Yeah. But instead of taking him up on that offer, she began stripping at a high-class place in Kansas City, which both Morgan and I can attest to. We're, we're not exactly sure about the veracity of such a thing. So here's the thing. She's like an East Coast blue blood. Right. Poppy she probably, Danforth. She probably says terrible things like, my family came here on the Mayflower. <laughs> at my cotillion. Yeah. And, Research uh, canapes. And yeah. And uh, anyway, she spends her whole life... On the East Coast, and then she decides she wants to disappear, so she goes to the most nowhere place she can think of. Kansas City. Kansas City. And gets to become a, a Catholic. To become a Catholic, eventually. She, like, happens to be... She has, like, a master's from some fancy... She's working in a non-profit. Dartmouth? Yes. She has a master's in business from Dartmouth, and she, like, works still for the strip club. Yep, because she likes to strip on Tuesdays. And she also does, like, other stuff. She, she does, works like, for a nonprofit. Keep. She keeps the books for the strip club, though, as well, doesn't yes. she? Yes, she is multi-talented and has yeah. a lot of time on her hands. Because she, she also begins keeping the books for the church, too, and volunteering yeah, at yeah. the church as part of her confirmation process. And she's, like, doing some business stuff at, like, this charming vineyard winery across mm-hmm. the street from the church, and she decides to walk in and confess her sins. And then she gets all hot and bothered for Father Bell. He is very attractive and he's only 27. He's very learned and he's buff as fuck. He goes running seven days a week. But guess why someone so hunky became a priest? Why? Because their little sister was raped by a priest and then killed herself. In the garage. In the garage and he found her body and so he decides he's going to fix the Catholic Church by becoming a priest. It's kind of a big job. It's a big, it's a, it's a big goal. He's working towards it. I do find him a believable character that he's this like Midwestern white bread golden boy. Oh, I believe that too. I believe that sincerely. And like, I think what's weird about this book for me is that it's written in the perspective of Father Bell. Mm-hmm. And like, we're so entirely in the male perspective. We're so entirely in the male gaze. It's weird to have a dude talk about himself and how hunky he is. But like, I believe it. That he thinks of himself. 
itself is hunky. Right, because it's also yeah. rooted in Poppy Danforth's desire. Yeah. But we yeah. never hear her voice or what she wants. Poppy Danforth sounds so 70s porn star looking to yeah, me. Yeah, it sounds book. like Debbie does Dallas. Yeah, yeah. she's got like like red lips yep. and pale skin. Yeah. And like, uh, it just sounds very 70s porno to me. Also, she never wears underwear, which is fine. Go commando all you want. Like, yeah, sure. Not here to judge that, but like... I actually thought at one point when I was reading the book, like, Sierra Simone is a man. <laughs> I thought that too. It felt uh, of a particular brand, of a particular type. But maybe she's just, like, very good at identifying with her character. But not unlike a James Bond, almost. Like a religious, mm-hmm. sensitive, feminist thing. Like Tyler, Father Bell. He talks an awful lot about taking women's studies classes. Awful lot. A little, he brings like, it up kind of a bunch. A little protest too much yeah. there, Father Bell. Yeah, because he like, whenever he's having sex with Poppy, he likes to be like, Oh, you dirty little whore. <laughs> oh, you, you naughty slut. But then it like freeze frame. <laughs> I know what you're babe. How did I get here? And then it cuts to him in like a women's studies class being like, but I'm so good at doing women's studies. Yeah. And he's like, I guess it's just my baser instincts and she consents to it, so it's okay. But it's a book that's constantly compensating for that, constantly bringing up that she like consents to it and not in a way that's like sexy and flows with the rest of the text. Having said that, there's some very hot scenes. Yeah, having said that, like consent is important to this book, so props. It is strangely awkward in a way that the other books that we've read haven't been. Yeah. Which is too bad because I think it's like a really important topic, especially as we like venture into a BDSM discussion. But yeah, like at least in its very forced, structured, consensual litigation, it understands as a text that it needs that. So like, cool, that's happening. But like, let's talk about the two sex scenes that I particularly want to talk about are the first one which is the cunnilingus. In the church. In the church, after confession. Uh Uh-huh. And the anal sex scene in the vestry. Yeah. (laughs) Which one would you like to start with? It will start at the beginning. All right, so Poppy Danforth has been coming to confession. She has been, and she has discussed the fact that uh, she felt this overwhelming kind of affective reaction towards Father Bell, Mm -hmm. and so she Googled him, hoping that it would make it easier for her to come to confession. But it only made it harder. She finger fucks herself before going to confession and then confesses in the confessional with uh-huh. Father Bell that she did that and isn't wearing underwear. So then he bursts out of the little doorway as we can all imagine because we've all seen movies and he's like in a t-shirt and khakis and he's got his little collar on which he rips off and if I was gonna have sex with a priest Mm. and they took off their little Mm. collar thing Mm -hmm. I'd be like what am I even what are are you even there for I mean they're still in the church you could be anybody it's true in the church And then he forces her slash consensually pushes her against the piano, rips her skirt up, and goes to town on her. And, like, the whole time that he's going down on her, which she's never had done to her, which is, like, murmur. That's obviously not, like, I did not buy that. I didn't buy that either. She's a pretty sexually adventurous and sexually experienced young woman. Yeah, how the fuck has no one ever gone down on Poppy Danforth? So, the first time that Poppy Danforth gets- Sarah Simone, has anyone ever gone down on you? 
you did the first time it happened was it with your sexy husband who you felt the need to give a specific shout out to in Greg. your liner notes liner notes anyway he goes to town on her and like he's going down on her from behind so he's like holding her ass do cheeks think, apart do you think a poppy meant she'd never received oral sex from behind no she meant she'd never received oral sex Ugh. right unbelievable so he's doing it to her from behind and the whole time that he's holding her ass cheeks apart and he's like nose deep in her sweet sweet cunny have you ever seen a Rodney Dangerfield <laughs> comedic movie and his face always ends up in a woman's bosoms well this is how Father <laughs> Bell is in this moment except it's with a butt <laughs> And as he holds her ass cheeks apart, <laughs> he thinks about people walking in on them. And he likes that. He likes it. Of course. Does anyone not like that? And then she comes all over his face and he's like, yeah. He's like, whoa, being a priest was maybe not the best choice for me. Also, since it's not P and V, it's not a sin. Yeah, which he's rationalized it. I okay. love, I, this is one of the things he that I really. He rationalizing it whenever he's nose deep in her taint still. Yeah, oh, 100% he's rationalizing. And that's one of the things that I actually really appreciate about this book <laughs> is that Father Bell is like rationalizing the shit out of the sex he's having the way that Catholic schoolgirls rationalize the shit out of the sex that they're having. Like, We're all people. Right. I mean, I didn't grow up with a sex shame in that way. So like here, here's another thing. You can tell that this is written by someone who's familiar with the Catholic mm. Church or has at least asked someone because all of this confessional stuff mm-hmm. happens in a, in the like in the confessional. Yeah, in a confessional, like an old school box box, uh, which doesn't really happen anymore. I haven't been to confession since I was twelve, so I wouldn't know. <sighs> yeah, you just kind of like I guess you just sit there Ugh. and talk. Yikes. People are like, it makes it easier. How does it make it easier? I want it to be as anonymous as possible. But don't you think it feels, maybe it feels kind of silly. Like whenever you know who's dressed up as Santa, but you have to act like you don't know it's your neighbor. You know? You know who's sitting on the other side of that screen, but you have to be like, Oh, amorphous god agent. Isn't that kind of like some sex in general, right? There's like sort of... (laughs) (laughs) Amorphous god agent. There's like... like Isn't most sex just like you're trying to act like you don't know that your neighbor's dressed up as Santa because that's part of the social contract. (laughs) But But you're like 10 and you saw him put on the beard. You know like how sex is. No, but like what I mean by that is like there's like sex is funny and like awkward and like these romance novels never really talk about the ways in which like sex can be fumbling or like the moment that like your vagina queefs like neither does this book right a hundred percent but like that's what I'm talking about where it's like it's silly that he rips off his collar it's silly that he comes out of the confessional in the same way that like sex can be supremely silly yeah but the things you like I see what you mean like it is kind of you have to pretend like those things are happening so that you can stay in the romantic moment you have to it's not that you pretend that those things aren't happening you have to pretend like there's not an audience who's like okay you know (laughs) all right you know whenever you're 
like the average looking person but on like a sexy nurse outfit. Uh, right, 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 right. You exactly to, that. You have to do it like without irony. Right. For it to work. A hundred percent. Like if you're gonna cosplay like Bellatrix Lestrange and Rodolfo, like you can't be awkward. Like you just have to be Rodolfo. Because that's her husband. Yeah, but like wasn't she like not into him? She was super into Voldemort, but who's gonna cosplay and sex Voldemort? I don't know. Probably just some perfect person waiting to meet me up there. A noseless perfect person. You could just tape up their nose like Lon Chaney. <laughs> Sex I don't want to have. Lon Chaney. What are they sneeze? Bella Lugosi. Uh, Voldemort. No worries. Lon Chaney and Bella Lugosi are both dead. Way Super to be dead. a downer. Mm. You know what's a downer? Catholic ha- priests. You think they're a downer? I think they're a hyper downer. I recently saw three billboards over Ebbing, Missouri. Speaking of Missouri, and a priest comes to talk to her about the billboards because her son's getting picked on and her son talked to his priest about it. And uh, she has this whole conversation with him about complicity. Is that a conversation? Ooh, how is complicity happening in the priest versus complicity happening in like romance genre? What do you mean? I think like there's a lot to be said about conversations about complicity in the romance genre. I don't know if this is like a text that kind of begs that question though, because Mm -hmm. I think like anytime you have something like, he's a vampire, he's a priest. It's basically just like putting on your little sexy costume and flibberty getting around, except this book feels the need to justify every decision because I do wonder like can you have a sexy priest in 2017 who like just joined the priesthood because he loved it I think that's a really good question and I think like that's one of the questions that this text asks and can you have him do it just because some of us get off on that idea right of a sexy priest yeah and like I think that's an interesting question I also think it's an interesting question the way that this book deals with like strippers or like other kinds of like like, not deviant sex, but, like, things that maybe Kansas City, Missouri would consider deviant. Well, she's a stripper who likes stripping. Right. Who, like... And is unapologetic. Maybe, maybe even do it for free. Yeah. Because is, she's an exhibitionist. Which feels, like, deviant, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, although, like, people, I imagine, who go to strip clubs and enjoy it are able to enjoy it because they're like, oh, she loves it. This is, like, a super fun job. And certainly there are the girls who, like, toss their hair and say, like, oh, my God, I love it. These are all my best friends you know but like ultimately you're there for the money cardi b if she has taught me anything is that you know you're in it for the money i mean kind of have to be we kind of have to be kansas city missouri yeah mountains of cash all that blue blood you know what honestly they're paying way less rent than we are that's true those bitches Way less for beers. Anyway, we're real off topic. So we talked about the Cunnilinga scene, which was like, whoa. Uh, let's talk about that anal sex scene in the vestry. So what happens in his office? Right, right, right. He right, has right, to right, like right. hustle out into the <laughs> sanctuary with his pants around his ankles. Oh god! But once again, if you want something to be sexy, you've got to like hit it with your all. You can't like have any sense of irony. You have to be like. This sexy, naughty priest, what's he gonna do? He's gonna get the anointing oils and use them to lubricate the anal passage. Because he's not a monster. No, of course not. Like, you have to have some kind of lubricant. And I knew this scene was coming from the minute he was like, 
I could tell she was into anal. <laughs> Which happens, like, in the first sex scene. It 100% does. I was like, okay, great. He's gonna... He's gonna drill her from behind. He's gonna have anal sex with her using the anointing oils yeah. as lubricant, specifically, yeah. was what I knew was gonna happen. Yeah. You brought up a really interesting point that I'd forgotten about. This book is, like, actually really funny. And, like, I think Sierra Simone is actually a really funny writer, where she takes moments like that where he has his, like, pants around his ankles, or there's another moment where they're, like, drinking scotch in his, like, shitty priest apartment, and, like, her tits have these amazing, like, nipples come to a point because it's cold, and, like, they have this, like, little joke about it. It's, like, this book is, like, very body aware and, like, how bodies are comical. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's actually really nice. In terms of, like, this book is very titillating, but it doesn't forget that, like, bodies are corporeal and, like, have weird, strange, awkward limits. I think it's uh, worth mentioning that this book, though, comes to a point where the reality of its era catches Mm -hmm. up to it. Okay. Because she's already having to, presumably Sierra Simone, she's already had to justify why a young, buff, smart dude who's taken women's studies has chosen to become a priest who anally penetrates one of his congregants consensually using the anointing oils, right? She has to go through all of that. But then it's like this relationship can't exist in any other way beyond like something's got to give. Reality comes to call. Yeah, reality comes to call and she has to explain how this relationship, like what is this relationship going to do from here on out? Mm -hmm. Because... And in the book, it's so boring. It is. It's so pedantic and boring. <laughs> it's excruciatingly boring. Mm. Like, she didn't have to add in the extra problem of Poppy's previous lover coming back into the picture. Poppy's previous lover who's possessive. And Poppy's previous possessive, possessive p- partner of a piece of shit. Piece of shit partner. <sighs> Poppy. The P-P-P-P-P. Old pop and stop. Pop and stop. It has a real issue. They also make this whole thing out of like, she's a dancer. But she's not a dancer. She's a stripper in Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah, but she has a degree from the University of Kansas in dance. She does. Why did she go to the University of Kansas? Because it was conveniently located to her, I want to disappear from the rest of the world location of Kansas City. Right, after going to Dartmouth. Yeah. Right. But like, someone who goes to Dartmouth, they're not going to go to the University of Missouri after that. Well, like they're going to go to the University of Kansas because it's a better school. I don't know about its dance school, but you know who came out of the University of Missouri's fucking drama department? Brad fucking Pitt. And, and I'll have you know, Womance listeners, Cheryl Crow. Do you know who came out of the University of Kansas's drama department? Poppy Danforth. Mandy Patankin. What? I love Mandy Patankin. I know. You can't beat Kansas. <laughs> Missouri can't beat Kansas. I think Missouri has for many years. Oh, my God. There's an episode of Life with Kelly and Regis, I guess. Ugh, gross. Who is Regis from Kansas? That Mandy Patankin sense. came on the show, and oh, he Mandy. mentioned that he had dated this woman when he Joe was Crow. at the University of Kansas and mm. that they had lost touch with one another Aww. and he always wonders what she's up to. Aww. Then the next time he came on the show, she was on the show! Oh! Was she really boring? No, I mean they just like hugged and stuff. I don't think anyone... She wasn't who, on like, Broadway. No, but like she, Mandy Patinkin was in love with her for decades. 
I don't know how I feel about that. I, I mean, like, like, just, like, that kind of love that, like, perhaps Poppy and Father Bell could have fallen into if they were practical, real-life adults who were, like, <laughs> we shared this moment, and, like, now we're... And the anal sex and in the vestry. And the anal sex in my office. <laughs> And now, where we now keep the baptismals. <laughs> I think that's what's actually kind of lacking in this story. Like the stakes feel important until they don't, right? Yeah. It's, it's just like, like, I know how it's going to end and it's not going to end in heartbreak, which it kind of feels like it should. Poppy's like, the only way I knew you'd leave me is if I kissed my ex-boyfriend and you had to leave me because you had to be a priest. And it's like, Poppy, like, He's you are He's not a very taking, good priest. Like, people who take the catechism mm. as adults mm-hmm. are way more intense about it than the kids. Nothing you like a true convert. You should know that, like, a priest who, like, wants to bone down on you forever yep. should not be a priest. Yeah. But down on you forever is a, another word for marriage. <laughs> Guess what? No one's going to bone down on anyone forever. That's not true. I watched The Notebook. I know that's not true. Viagra and everything. I yeah, guess. they bone down forever. Like in bed while she had Alzheimer's. So, like, there's a consent that's, issue. That's, yeah, it's not great. It's not great. Anyway, how did we end up feeling about Tyler Bell in Kansas City? So, I felt like Tyler Bell was an interesting character. I, I found him real, like, real. I figured I could, like, hang out with him. Oh, that is a really, okay, hang on, hang on. I think that's a really good thought, and I want to follow it. I could grab a beer with Father Bell. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Uh, Father Bell's relatable. If this book had been written from Poppy Danforth's perspective rather than Father Bell's, like in the man's perspective, Mm -hmm. would he have been as relatable? Even if he's a dude, I think he is more relatable to me as a Midwesterner mm. than Poppy Danforth would have she's been. Like, Her problems, I just can't connect she's, with. She's like, okay, so of the heroines, do we even want to call Poppy a heroine? Mm. I don't think so. Like, on our scale of, like, one to Elizabeth Bennett, she's, like, fucking negative. She's like, um... She's like Mr. Bingley's sister, Caroline. Yeah, she's a full-on Caroline. Oh, God, she's, like, the anti-Elizabeth. <laughs> Well, we can't, like, and that's true. Like, we can't get behind her. And, like, what does that mean for a genre? I mean, like, she's not, like, at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, I'm happy for them. They end up together. I'm not that happy for them. I'm happy, like, that Father Bell decides to go to Harvard and, like, divinity and theology. But, like, what does I'm Poppy happy that, do? I'm happy that Father Bell goes to travel, gets to travel. Yeah, I'm glad he gets out of Kansas. Glad he gets out of Kansas and he tries some new things uh, that, is, uh, that is ignited by Poppy's perceived rejection i'm glad that poppy moves to brooklyn the kansas of new york (laughs) and (laughs) just kidding that was really good Uh, certainly not the missouri of new york that's hoboken (laughs) sick bird on missouri (laughs) but like she goes to brooklyn and she like starts her own dance school and Mm. like remains very catholic and Mm -hmm. has like found a community in the Mm -hmm. catholic church that she can connect with Oh, sorry. Let's just say a little bit of commentary from our special guest host, Corduroy the Cat. Petting pussy. <laughs> He's so mad at that joke. He did not like that joke at all. He pissed. Oh, he's interested. Things that you maybe didn't know about my co-host Morgan is that she rescued Corduroy from a dumpster. Yeah. He is a dumpster cat. In a lot of different ways. <laughs> Not unlike some of the trash humans that have been rescued by love in some of the books we've covered. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Corduroy is kind of like 
a hero in a Beauty and the Beast retelling. <laughs> Misunderstood, but full of love. But full of love. It just doesn't know how to re- like express it in a way that's uh, legible. To others. To others. And like Father Bell, to his credit, knows how to make his love legible. legible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's super into Poppy. Poppy, it's so strange to me in a romance novel that Poppy feels so two-dimensional. She's yeah. just like a pretty lady. Yeah. You know? And that's kind of a bummer, but I will say like sex scenes were uh, titillating. Sizzling. Uh, in a way that I'm not ready to confront. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not ready to look at myself and ask questions. I agree. But, I think uh, the sex scenes in this made me feel really I, weird. Here's the thing. Here's here's another thing. We talked thing about I'm the one where about. they have sex on the altar. Yeah, they have sex on the altar. Like he a ties cult. her up with his vestments. With his vetimals. Yeah, and like, I'm sorry, it's on with his vestments. <laughs> with his like <laughs> sash. <laughs> it's called a vestment. Yeah, he ties her up with his sash. Yeah, and it's white, which is like crazy symbolic in that. Mm-hmm. And like he fucks her on a marble altar in an empty church. Yes. On like a Thursday. On a Thursday. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus was arrested on Thursday. Is that what his police record says? Yep. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I think about this a lot. The term teacher hot. Uh, yes. Like, is mm-hmm. your teacher hot or are they just hot <laughs> really because smart. they're in a... No, are they hot because they're in a forbidden profession? Uh, like, you can't, like, have a relationship with them so you think they're hot. So is the priest hot or is it, like, is this book hot or is it just, like, leaning a lot on the fact that... I mean, it certainly uses the props. It does. It uses the accoutrements. Of the priesthood in a way like they are fucking on a marble altar Uh and she's tied up with a white sash that he wears for his special ceremonials. Like they're like all the trappings of it do. It's like very hot for teacher, very forbidden fruit, very Adam and Eve, whatever, whatever. It's relying heavily on that trope. And I think the fact that Poppy is two-dimensional doesn't help that. However, Tyler's inner monologues as Father Bell are fascinating screeds on guilt and sex. Here's another thing Mm. I think is interesting Mm. about Father Bell is that he has the internal life Mm. of most men Mm. or a lot of men Mm -hmm. that it's pretty like he works out Mm -hmm. he watches a tv show he Mm -hmm. likes and he reads the internet and he reads the internet particularly pertaining to Mm -hmm. this tv show he likes he Mm -hmm. has his job Mm -hmm. he hangs out with his brothers and his parents Mm -hmm. but like his deeper musings Mm -hmm. aren't there on a regular basis Mm -hmm. like he's not regularly pondering the implications of his choices that's true that's true but i think that's pretty i mean it just seems terribly realistic you know What's disturbing about that observation, which I think is 100% correct, is like, yes, and most of the heroes that we encounter so far in our romance dive have not been like that. Like, they muse a lot yeah. about the broader context they of their choice. all the time. All the time. And we have access to their thoughts, not only through their actions, but like through direct discourse. Yeah. And why like, am I the way I am? Right. And like, why do I love my mother in this way that I feel compelled to lie to her that I have a betrothed that isn't real? Yeah. Like, why do I do these things? Like, Father Bell isn't working on that access at all. No. Or when he does, it is only through the lens of guilt. And, like, that is new. Yeah. None of our heroes really work on guilt unless they've fucked a virgin and haven't asked them to marry them yet. Yeah. But I have to, I have to, like, I personally Mm. labor over, you know, why do I make the choices that I make? All the time. Yeah, you do too. Oh, of course. But there is something that is, like... Freeing about... 
being a white male in American society. Yeah, like there seems to be something like really true there uh, about our friend. And you made a point earlier that the internal monologue of the male protagonist serves to demonstrate a depth that women don't regularly have access to with their partners mm-hmm. or, you know, simply hope that their partners have mm-hmm. and that their partners are unable to share for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But Father Bell, this book is entirely in his own perspective mm-hmm. and he does not do that. Mm-hmm. So what is the function of the male perspective and the male gaze in Priest? I think that the, that there isn't one. I think that Father Bell, because of the way in which his inner monologue is so entirely seen through the desire of sex and then the immediate guilt factor, like he's operating not unlike the heroines that we've talked about in terms of like the choices or non-choices that they have. Father Bell is, is really trapped in a corner, not unlike the forced chastity of some of you know our debutantes who are attempting their first season in the ton. It is unlike that, though. How is it unlike that? Because he loses a job, but as demonstrated by his own witnessing, he has other options if he leaves the priesthood. Yeah. He has options to be a successful person, a successful, stable person outside of the priesthood. But he has to give up something that he loves. He has to give up a part of something that he loves. He doesn't have to stop being a Catholic. Mm. He doesn't have to stop doing charity work. Well, he doesn't have to stop studying the, the word. The word that the he doesn't have to stop being a theologist. You're right. That's a really good point. I think mm-hmm. that the function of the male gaze and the male perspective in this book is to simplify the really complex nature of women getting off on being degraded. Because if we see it from his perspective, he's like, I'm a good guy. I respect her as a person, right? We get that simple gratification there. And we don't have the issue of Poppy being like, I like this. What does that mean? And we don't get weighed down in the muck of that. We can just be like, it's pleasurable for her to be called a slut and a whore. And we don't have to ask why because we, she yeah. never asks and neither yeah, does he. Yeah. Shit. I think that's why. I think you're right. I think it simplifies a really complex internal relationship women have with those kinds of fantasies. What's fascinating about that interaction between reader and audience, because I think you're 100% right, like this book has to be from the male gaze so it doesn't get like lost in the quote unquote weeds of what it is to examine (laughs) our own fetishes, is that that simplification doesn't simplify it for the audience, but makes it readily accessible, titillating, and like all the rest of it like is shit you do on your own yeah and it 100% does not do the work for you yeah huh I also would say like I think it makes a pretty clear point about these kinds of EDSM relationships and that if we switch to the male perspective it's pretty easily uncomplicated by the fact that I took a women's studies course whereas like if we saw this from Poppy's perspective it would get real sticky yeah and real deep but also like much more gratifying it's like the difference yeah. between like, I don't know, a ho-hum orgasm and like an orgasm that you think about for years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I would be curious to hear from any listeners or from you. Like, are there texts that really deft 
deeply deal with the complexities of being a woman who wants to be degraded sexually. I, yeah, I, I've encountered one that's orbiting that issue. Okay. It was what was recommended if I didn't want to read Fifty Shades of Grey, which is terrible. We can all agree. Can't we, listeners, <laughs> that Fifty Shades of Grey Listen, is... Listen, if you don't agree... If you don't agree, you can't listen to this anymore. That's a lie. I want you to keep listening. But send me 500 words on why yeah, 500 to romance at, at gmail.com. At least. We have a gmail.com email address, guys. That's because we're awesome. Okay. Sylvia Day wrote several books that I want to cover because she slips between erotica and romance. But Sylvia Day's series orbits this conundrum through the lens of degradation and abuse and trauma, which is a fascinating Wow, that grouping. sounds really heavy. It is. It's a fascinatingly heavy read. Also, like, it's, like, crazy escapist because, like, it's a millionaire and a billionaire, so it's, like, kind of just not even that fun, but, like, yeah. the kinds of clothes that he rips off her, like, you know, whatever, Gucci and Dior or whatever. Gucci and Dior. That one, Dior. Anyway. So I heard something. I think mm. Dior is an interesting choice. So Coco Chanel, she went out of style, rightfully so after it came out that she was hanging out with the Nazis a little too much. Uh Uh-huh. And she went through a lull. But during that lull, that's when Christian Dior really took off. Mm. And she said he doesn't dress women. He upholsters them. She would later go on to clarify. She said that kind of clothing design is done by, like, referring to Givenchy and Dior. That kind of clothing design is done by men who hate women and make fun of them. Because her designs were all about, like, comfort Mm -hmm. and kind of a straight silhouette. Something that anybody could wear. Whereas, like, Dior was padding jackets Mm -hmm. and corseting, Mm -hmm. re-corsetting, came back. And yeah. All that kind of stuff. Ooh, Nazi comfort, Dior misogyny. I guess this kind of gets to the question of Kansas versus Missouri as well. <laughs> Bringing it all back. <laughs> it's all relative. It's all it's related. All relative. Everything that is old is new again. Bleeding Kansas. Anyway, I think after this, I want to get into Sylvia Day. I also think that this is a good springboard for a Western. After all this ah, yes. open sky <gasps> discussion, I think perhaps we should have a Western. What about, would you have a Western in mind? I don't have a and Western do you, have in you, mind. Have you been a big Western fan in your life? You know, I will tell you a very brief story about my encounters with <laughs> Western romance fiction. Yeah. My dear departed Aunt Maria, who oh, lived her in... Aunt. Aunt Maria lived her entire life in St. Louis, Missouri, had a secret basement closet that her husband, Uncle Charlie, had built her floor to ceiling built-ins in. So it was a six by six closet Mm -hmm. and the built-ins covered all of the walls and she had romance novels on every single shelf. So tight. Like every single centimeter was covered with romance novels and they were like Avon novels and anthologies and like the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah. And she had an entire like three shelves of westerns and my sister at the time had just moved to montana so there was this one called montana sky uh-huh. that i read and then sent to her and that is a hundred percent the only western <laughs> novel romance novel i've ever read what did you think of it i your... loved it yeah oh my god montana sky like the heroine also this cover romance listeners this cover it's like just a beautiful iridescent pink and she's got this long beautiful auburn hair flowing behind her and she's got this like Victorian dress on and he's like basically Fabio but 
buffer and he's got this cattle behind him and like nothing but a cloudless blue sky and he's like coming for her across the mountain <gasps> they range. They made a movie out of it. Oh my god, they made a movie. Oh, in 2007. Oh, that's fairly recent. Nora Roberts wrote the book. What? I did not know that, listeners. Wow. Maybe we should read that. Should we revisit Montana Sky? I was going to talk about Blaze. That was going to be my suggestion. We could do too. Is this look like the right? Yeah. Yeah, Montana Sky. Yeah. So let's let's read Montana Sky and Blaze. Sounds good. All right. Um, so if you can't wait until then, you know how to reach us. We are on Twitter at woe underscore mans. We are on Tumblr at womance.tumblr.com. We're also on Instagram. And you can send us a mail. Send us your suggestions via email to womancemail at gmail.com. We might be so tickled by your selections as to invite you for a quick phone interview. Oh, I'm so excited for you. You get to talk to us on the phone, maybe. Touch yourself. Touch others. Be touched. Loosen your <laughs> loosen your stays, but never your principles. Good night, Womans. Hey, folks, it's Morgan. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womans. Our logo is by Mary Reichman, and our original music and editing is by Nick Gravelin. They're the best. Feeling woeful about waiting a whole week for more Womans? Well, chin up, Buttercup. You can creep or connect with us anytime on Twitter. We're at woe underscore mance or Instagram, womance, all one word. You can also find us on Tumblr at womance.tumblr.com. If you prefer to be more direct, why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com. Can't wait to hear from you. And don't forget to tune in next week.